All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. I'm Raf Giallo alongside James O'Toole this week, and we've also got Ollie Cahill and Graham Gartland as we look back at the weekend's results in the Women's National League, SSE or Tristy League Premier Division, and also First Division as well. But before we get into all that, I think uh, there's smaller matters which is happening over across the water with the Premier League title race. So we might just ease ourselves in with that. Ollie, obviously, look, uh, the situation at the weekend changed things for the first time in a, num- in, in, in a number of weeks with uh, Liverpool falling three points behind Manchester City now after dropping points uh, against Tottenham. They're playing tonight against Aston Villa. Stephen Gerrard, possibly a party pooper here. But even regardless of that result, do you see Manchester, Manchester City dropping enough points uh, in the three games remaining to give Liverpool a chance to come back into this? Yeah, yeah, no, I don't think so. I can't, I can't see them dropping. I think obviously the, the weekend games were huge, and you know, psychologically for Man City, um, after the the Champions League um game to go in on the back of that, I think people think, oh, that's going to be a big, big one for them to try and lift themselves. But uh, they did, and they're supposed to boost they get from the seeing the Liverpool result as well. Um, but yeah, oh, look, they're, they're two unbelievable teams, and it was it was hard to see any of them dropping points along the way. But look, Liverpool had that that little slip, so. Yeah, I, I, I can't see I can't see City not winning it from here. Yeah, but they have bigger fish to fry, obviously, with the Champions League and then the FA Cup final also coming up. At the other end, actually, it was kind of interesting, Graham, with uh, Everton getting themselves out of the relegation zone now. They obviously still have a game in hand, which is going to be against already relegated Watford. And Leeds, who have a terrible goal difference, have slipped in now. If you were to pick from the three that are most likely to end up in that third relegation spot between Everton, Burnley and Leeds. Which way are you going? I, think, I'm, I thought Burnley had sort of pulled themselves out a little bit, but when you see their remaining games, they've, they've scores away, they've Aston Villa away and they finish with Newcastle at home. Leeds, probably toughest one is Chelsea, but they're at home in that one. So Burnley have two away games, Leeds have two home games, and I think that two home games might pull them out. Um, Everton have three home games, with the last game being away to Arsenal, so they're hoping that they they're mathematically safe before going down to London to play that one. So um, I could see Burnley being in trouble purely for the fact that the, the, the two away games against Spurs and Aston Villa, which I think could be tough. So yeah. I can see Burnley maybe getting dragged in. But like you said, Leeds have conceded too many goals. Like they've conceded 74 goals this season, I think, is it? And it's just, if you're, if you're trying to sort of stay up or do anything in this league, you can't be giving away that many goals and, and expect to to um, do well in the league. Yeah, we've been talking about title races, obviously, in the Premier League, and there is one in the Women's National League, and there's been a decisive result there on Saturday. So looking at the results over the weekend, Wexford have hauled themselves up into joint second with P-Mount after a 2-0 win against DLR Waves. Cork City lost 4-1 at home to Athlone. Treaty United lost 4-0 at home to Bohemians. And then in the big one, Shelburne beat P-Mount 1-0. So that's champion Shelburne taking a decisive step in the title race. And then Sligo Rovers uh, lost 2-1 at home to Galway. Now we're just going to listen to Jess Stapleton, who scored the winner uh, half an hour in for Shelburne against P-Mount, fourth goal of the season. And she was also talking about the Save Talca Park campaign, which we'll talk a little bit about later on. Jesse, what a game. What are your thoughts? Oh, it's brilliant. P-Mount and Shelbourne is always a big match, and you know, especially with the week Shelbourne had with the whole Save 
save Tolka Park and we saved it so it's you know our home for a good time now and the men's won on Friday so it's just a great week for Shelburne all around. Yeah and you scored oh. the, the only goal of the game yeah. that. It was the ball fell for me perfect and I have to give credit to Jess Garrigan that was a brilliant run and you know, if she didn't do that, it wouldn't have fell to me. So fair play to her, it all goes to her. Yeah, and it's it's always a tough game, you you guys and payment. Yeah. What were your thoughts kind of coming into the game? Um, you know, we knew that if we won, like we'd go five points ahead, is it? So obviously that's in the back of our head, and then don't know about the rest of the girls, but for me, like back of my head is the five 0 that they beat us up there. So we wanted to get a bit of a revenge, as you say. But it was a great win, and credit to payment as well. They're a brilliant team. All right, so that is Jess Stapleton of Shelburne, scorer of the winner against P-Mount, speaking to LOI TV after Saturday's 1-0 win. James, in terms of what this does to the title battle at the top of the Women's National League, I mean, at the start of the season, we were thinking maybe it might be a three-horse race with Wexford there, and that it was really a flip of a coin between Shelburne and P-Mount, given what we saw at the end of last season. But Shelburne, you know, they were quite dominant in this game against P-Mount, and they've taken a real decisive step, at least in this early juncture in the title race. Yeah, they have, but this is a bit like last season as well. They went ahead last season, they had a fair few points ahead, and it got... Slowly but surely, you got grabbed back, like like what we've seen basically in the, the start of the men's Premier Division as well, where a team's ahead by six, seven, eight points, and now it's back to one. Like, there's no doubt this is a massive result. Like, in fairness to P Mount, they went at it from the very start. Karen Dugan had a great chance. Evan Aaron McLaughlin also had a great chance as well. But you know, it's it's one of those games where these two have a real rivalry now, and it's great to see it in at the top of the league. Like, as, as you just mentioned there, the 5-0 victory over in, in P-Mount was massive for P-Mount. But then this comes back, get them home in Tolka. Lovely day for a game of football. Great result for them. It does show that it probably will be those two. If we did think there would be one, two, maybe three, with Wexford and maybe DLR Waves pushing a bit, I think that's out the window now. I think these two are going to go on now for the rest of the season and kind of just tip for tie at each other and then hope that Wexford or DLR or or Athlone or someone like that takes a point off here or there. But um, a great result for Shelburne. Shows their attention for the rest of the league. Will we get the same finishes we got last year? Probably not because that's like that doesn't really happen year in, year out. But uh, no, it, it's great for women's football. It's great to see it on the Watch LOI that we're able to watch all the games as well. Again, and TG Carr, I'm sure, will come in during the season as well and do a couple of live games on telly as well. So it's all looking positive for them. And it probably just shows, James, the, uh, the importance of that first game of the season where P-Mount had won 6-0, you know, they made a brilliant start to the season against Sligo Rovers, obviously with the mitigating circumstances, Sligo were new to the league, but then obviously that getting turned around and being awarded to Sligo because of an ineligible player. Yeah, and it's stuff like that where the players on the pitch, and I don't know about the two lads, the two lads have been on pitches where probably, like, you don't care who you're playing with or who you're playing against, and that's all an admin thing. Um, so it, it's difficult for the players when they get a result and then it's a silly admin thing that goes wrong. But again, this is this is showing the levels we're now at with women's soccer. That yes, they're a professional league and yes, we have to take it professionally and we need to look at it the exact same way. And it's just unfortunate that an administration problem happens with that. But yeah, it keeps keeps the league going. And it's, it's sad actually to see Paul Farrell stepping down from Cork City Women as well during the week. Um, obviously, he, he's saying that it's, it's all work-related and it's just so much time that needs to go into the club that he can't do it anymore because he's a really good coach, really, really, really good man. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's on the up for women's soccer and we've got next Saturday week, we've got the Women's Champions League final as well. So 
as, as far as women's soccer, not only in Ireland is concerned, but across Europe, it's, it's all on an open. We've seen record attendances all over the place. And as soon as that starts happening here in Ireland, people will grab it, especially within the league. Yeah, we'll touch on Wexford too, because as we said at the start of the season, um, it was possibly going to be a three-horse race. Now they beat DLR Waves 2-0, but Kira Rossiter scoring from a long-range free kick and then setting up the other goals. We might just listen to her first because she was speaking to Siobhan Madigan after a match-winning performance. Did you think I'll go for a goal straight away when that free kick was awarded? You were 30-odd yards out. Yeah, Kylie, I think Kylie wanted to put it into the corner, but I was like, no, I just shoot. Um... I was just dying for a goal, to be honest, <laughs> after all the sitters I missed there. But I said, may as well just take the chance and see. And luckily enough for myself, I went in. It's a vital win. It moves your level on points now with P-Mount and you played them here in a fortnight as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, I suppose it's still very early on in the league, but you don't want to be dropping points too early either and falling too far behind. Um, so I, it's good for us that we're kind of staying up there. But again, like P-Mount, it's, it's going to be a tough game, two weeks' time. Um, but we look forward to Cork next weekend first. We're just focusing on each game as it comes. We don't really look ahead too far. Okay, so that is Kira Rossiter of Wexford Utes after a match-winning performance. As uh, Siobhan Madigan said to her there, you know, they've hauled themselves level with P-Mount. Uh, do you, like, and I know you said it's probably going to be between Shelburne and P-Mount when, when everything comes to an end towards the end of the season, but do you give Wexford a small chance of maybe putting themselves into the mix in the long term? There's a small chance of them. Like, they're both on 19 points at the minute. As Siobhan mentioned there, they play each other, not this week, I think it's next week they play each other. Um, but, the only thing Wexford have on their side, and it kind of is on their side, kind of isn't on their side. If you look at their squad, their squad is a very secure squad. It's been there for years. Like you look at Kira, is there? You look at Nicholas Sinnott still there? Like do you know what I mean? Players like this are the, are the core of that Wexford team and have been there for years. Have won cup finals with them. Have played in Europe with them. So there's a good core of players there. It'll be a bit to tell you the truth. It'd be like what happened at the weekend with Shelburne beating Piedmont, and people saying, "Well, that's it done. Shelburne have gone." and I think P-Mount get a result down there and they have had results down there and they've had good kickings down there as well. Um, I think that'll be it. Um, it'll be interesting, to tell you the truth. But again, yeah, I, I, I don't know where Wexford's head's at. Are they, are they a cup team? Are they a league team? Do they want to push on the league or would they rather look at the FEI Cup? Uh, I'm not too sure. But yeah, listen, that game comes down to it. Cork, after being beaten, I think they were beaten by Athlone at the weekend. As I said, managing this Cork going down to Wexford for a game that could be a win to Wexford and then it sets it up it depends like, but we're again we're nine games into the season it's a long yeah. season we'll see yeah. where we go from here like. yeah much like the men's premier division where probably obviously we're calling it a title race it's still quite early on and there yeah. has been a decisive step so as we see from the results over the weekend now Derry City Shamrock Rovers uh, Sligo Rovers and St. Pat's are two games over the weekend but starting with the Friday results Derry City drawn 1-1 Home of Bohemians, Will Patchen's penalty, earning them the point there after Amacheri had given Bowles the lead. And then St. Pat's got back on track with a 4-0 win at Roddy United. Dar Burns with the early goal, which uh, got Pats motoring. And then Shelburne beat Sligo Rovers 2-1. A very important home win for Shelburne after, well, actually they hadn't won one at home um, this year. So that's, uh, that's a huge one for them. UCD with a valuable... Uh, point at home to Dundalk 2-2 draw there and then Shamrock Rovers beating Finn Harps 3-1 with Danny Mandroyu getting a brace and then last night Shamrock Rovers uh, beating Sligo Rovers 3-1 and then Derry City and St. Pat's drawing 0-0 before we get to the teams involved last night um, I think we do need to talk about the Save Talca Park campaign and the developments that happened last week so Graham 
Uh, in regards to the positive news at Shelburne, I mean, Dublin City Council recommending that there uh, the abandoning of plans to rezone the ground for residential use. And as Jess Stapleton said there in the earlier clip after the win over P-Mound, like it's a huge week for the club. Oh, yeah, it's massive. Like, you know, you see where other teams, you don't want to lose your home. And that's where they played the majority of their games since since their inception, I think. So it's it's so important. Like you said, there's enough places to rezone, to make houses without them taking someone else's, uh, like like you said, their home and where, they, where you want to play. Um, it's so important for the club now that they're back in the Premier Division that they have somewhere to call their own. Um and on the on the same week that they get their first home win, it probably gives them a little boost as well for everybody. So, um, yeah, it's fantastic news for the club, fantastic news for the league. Ollie would have played a lot more at Tolkien than I would have down the years, but it was always a good place to go. It was always a good atmosphere, even as an away team down down there. But there was there's some great evenings. I was actually at the European game when uh, Davy Rogers scored that goal, as he <laughs> tells everybody with the magic boot, like so. Um, Ollie would tell you about that, but that's like some great European evenings there that you would have went to watch even as a young up and coming player. I would have went to watch them games there. So it's fantastic. I do feel that the ground needs developing. I do feel it needs a good. If they're gonna save it, save it, and then make sure that it's done up properly, and they get the council involved with the upkeep of it as well if they can. So yeah, they saved them. It's great news, but. Make sure that they redevelop it and turn it into a proper um, functional stadium. Yeah, Ollie. In regards to Graham's point there about the opportunity now to do something with the ground beyond just the actual saving of it uh, for the future and actually building on what's there and renovating or whatever needs to be done, there's a real opportunity there for ground that obviously you know very well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As as Graham was saying there, yeah, many many a great evening in, in Talca Park and and lots of happy memories there. Um, but yeah. It needs a bit of work. It needs a bit of TLC. I, I suppose, look, they haven't done anything to it because they thought they were going to lose it for over the last number of years. But I say now, now is the opportunity. Thankfully, it's been saved. And I think it was mentioned about Talca, Dale Mount, and Richmond that putting a few resources and, and, and money into that and bringing them up to a standard that they should be at and a standard that the club deserves. I mean, as you say, there's a huge effort gone into this campaign. Um, but now... What, what are the next steps where, where are they going with it um, are they going to improve it and look I'm sure they will and it, it, look it is it is a great place to play and it's you know some great atmospheres there because I remember even losing the cup final to Linfield um, there but Linfield brought about 2,000 2,500 fans down and created a brilliant atmosphere and it was just a great day and as Graham said, those some of those European nights were, were special there, and thankfully it is safe. But yeah, let, let's kick on now and his hand prove it and, and, and give the club a ground that they, they deserve. Yeah, and they uh, kind of I don't know, it was just one of those coincidences that both the women's team and the men's team also got victories at home on the same week that that was happening. Um, as we look, we've already discussed the uh, the women's team getting a massive win first for the men's team at Damien Duff's side, that 2 1 win, um, that they got there on Friday night. I mean. It's it was massively crucial for them. Obviously, hadn't won one at home, but now you know it, with the context of trying to keep as far away from that relegation playoff spot, Ali, like it was, it was just massive and much needed. Yeah, yeah, it was a huge win, and I think it's just Stapleton mentioned. It. I saw Joe O'Brien's um, post-match interview as well, and he mentioned the Save Talker campaign, and it was it was a motivation point for them all week. Um, so and they wanted to give the fans something back, you know, after the campaign, and they went out and did 
fairness, a couple of really, really good goals. Jack Moylan, um, they've missed when he's been out injured, they've missed him. And Sean Boyd, a couple of cracking goals. And um, it was, I say, it's a massive win, first home win in the season. And they could have got a few more. In fairness, Ed McGinty made some great say. Anytime, in fairness, anytime I've seen Ed McGinty, he's he's impressed me. Top, top keeper. Um, I think he's got a big future ahead of him. Um, but Shells would be delighted, absolutely delighted with, with that win um, at home. And I think they've drawn at home next as well. So they'd be looking to build on, on that first home win and, and, and grab another one, as say, and just and push on up the table. I mean, Damien is, is building things slowly there and, and obviously implementing his way and, and, and what they want to do. And they'll get there, they'll get there. But I say that that was a huge step forward for them. Yeah, and James, just on that overall situation in terms of on and I guess you can call it off the pitch, even though it's still within the, I suppose, <laughs> the ground itself is kind of the, it, you can kind of call it on the pitch as well. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a massively important for Shelburne. It's massively important for Shelburne. Now, I'm going to be a bit controversial here, right? Okay, go on. <laughs> the pitch hasn't had anything done. The ground hasn't had anything done to it since they built a stage, a stand, that is already derelict. I'm not allowed to have people move into it. It's on a floodplain. Every time the talker bursts, the right-hand corner of the pitch floods. So there's a lot of work that needs to go into that as well. And I don't know whether the money is there to redevelop Talca to the level it needs to go to. As they mentioned, St. Pat's to the level it goes to. And Dadiment to the level it needs to go to. And I'm not 100%, I know people will absolutely go after me for this, but I'm not 100% sure we should be spending money on three stadiums when we could get one really, really good stadium that suits everybody and puts two teams into it and gets it to the level it needs to be in for this league to progress. Because I have a sneaking suspicion that the money will be split and neither stadium will come up to the level where we need them to be, even for European games. I don't think the finances is there to split across three stadiums. And unfortunately, history or not, if we want to push the league on, we need proper stadia. And if it's only going to be a third of a stadium here, a third of a stadium there, a third of a stadium there, then it, it suits nobody. That's, Graham, that's, what's, yeah, sorry, Graham. what's your, what's your view on uh, James's point there? I think the Shelbourne one, I think the people who are investing in Shelbourne probably have an idea that they're going to invest in the stadium as well as the playing staff. So if they go in with the council and show the plan to say this is where the council can help invest and we can help invest as a club. The Daily Mount one is different in that I'm not sure you have money behind them that the way Shelbourne do to, to, to invest with the council. I'm not sure how much they could use in that sense. Regarding Pats, where do Pats go then if 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 you're saying one stadium, James, you know, like I know they redeveloped the brandy well and they got got to do pitch and redevelop the stand. But my question to you then would be, how would you feel if they said, well, we're just going to let it go and move like and, and you have to move in with Finn Harps and, and develop a stadium between them two? Like because people have a great affinity to that club and where it's based. And if you if you uproot that, they, they, they lose that sense of identity a little bit, you know. Now I know you can you point to other stadiums around Italy has always been really shared and, and from the get-go was shared. But over here, that's a difficult one to do, like you know. It's difficult, but at at, the, at this moment in the time, the council own both Tolka and Daylon Park. So the Tolka, like the money was going in from the council. There was a load of funds being put together for the money. We are talking 20 odd million to redevelop Daily Mount Park. Maybe uh, that's probably a small amount to develop Daily Mount Park. 
And I can't see anybody, no matter how much money is behind them, developing Tolka out of their own pocket to that level. And yeah, mm-hmm. the Brandywell was re- redeveloped, right? Institute are now there, not due to the Brandywell being redeveloped, but due to what happened to the Riverside Stadium during flooding. They're there. So we have two teams in there. If they move the Brandywell tomorrow, out, out just outside the city, into a brand new stadium, I'd be more than happy. No question. Well, I want, would you be I want, happy to share it with Finn Harris? Yes, no problem. No problem. I, I, think we have to, I think we have to look at not our own interests, but the league and, and creating a business here of football. And if we've got half a stadium built here, half a stadium built there, half a stadium built there, that doesn't help anybody. Whereas we could have one good north side facility and shells and, and bowls sheriff. And I don't see a problem with that. I think we need to put, if we want to push the game on, we want to make it a business. Yes, history counts. Yes, you'll have your fans who say history counts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if you look at the demographic of fans who are going to matches today, Shelburne fans, for instance, the vast majority of them haven't seen Shelburne win a Premier Division. So where's the history there? Like, do you know what I mean? We've, what, all we've done is go to a derelict football ground every second week to watch a game of football. Whereas I'm sure they'd rather go to a lovely, nice stadium and watch it. And I don't... I think if you put a time frame on it, James, I think if you turn around and say, right, you just have 10 years to redevelop them, and if you don't, then we're going to... But again, it might be wasted. But then money, you're but 10 years behind. Yeah. You're, you're not 10 years behind. You're then 15 years behind because it's going to take you five years to build a decent stadium. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I know people. I'll let Ollie weigh in. Ollie has yeah. more affinity to talk than I do. Look, I suppose it, it, it happened in Drogheda as well when we were there and the plans for stadiums. Yeah. And it's just it all fell by the wayside, and it was nearly the the cart before the horse kind of thing. You know that the you know put money into the playing squad and they got success then, but it was on the back of trying to build a stadium, and and, and that fell through. Um, yeah, it's a difficult one. I understand. I understand what James is saying. Like, if it's for yeah, the betterment yeah. of the league and, and you want to push things on, I understand that. But I think let's let's give them a chance. I'm saying history would suggest maybe it won't, but like give them a chance. Let's see if, if we can. Um, I know there was huge outpouring of emotion from from Shells fans because it's back to Grand's point. They feel like they were losing their identity as such. They're going to Daly Mount. It's it's the heartland of of Bowes, yeah. you know, Fisborough, Cabra, and all. But um, yeah, look, I say, let, let, let's give them a chance. They're just after saving it, so like, hopefully they, they can push it on and, and do the, the thing, Ollie, thing. isn't it? Like, if, if, if you are building a brand new ground for the both of them to share, I could understand that. I could understand them building a ground for the two of them. That They're not redeveloping Daily Mount, they're not redeveloping Falcon, they're getting a new stadium. One stand is shells, one stand is bows in terms of their entrances. You could do all that. That's what happens in other clubs. But the fact that you're moving one team to another ground another people's stadium that's the that's the bit that sticks you know like it'd be like that's the bit that fans can't get their head around because like you said they're losing their identity i understand what you're saying build one good stadium between the two of them but it probably needs to be in a neutral venue where they can both then they're both losing something to get something gain something at the top end of it for the betterment of the league james yeah listen 
That's an ideal situation, by the way. But but Shamrock Rovers never lost their identity when they're traveling from ground to ground. Ah, they did. They made it stronger within the fans. You know what I mean? Yeah, it made the hardcore group stronger. It made it stronger, and they're the guys who stuck stood by Rovers and got them through the bad times. Do you know what I mean? That's true, but it did. They they lost so much, though, James. They lost like they are. Like, if you ever listen to to ex Rovers players and ex Rovers fans talking about them times. Like the nomad years, it was heartbreaking. Some of the it stuff. was heartbreaking. But you, you'd never wish that on any. You'd never wish that on any club. But you fear that's what might happen if they only half develop Brownsley. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a debate that's going to rumble on for sure. So <laughs> but at least it's, it's been sparked here. So uh, we'll probably yeah. we'll probably follow it on. Um, but elsewhere, um, anyway, uh, we were praising Dundalk on last week's podcast. I don't think you were on it, actually, Graham. But uh, there was, uh, I think it was. Uh, <sighs> Uh, Johnny uh, Johnny McDonald actually he was saying that uh, you know he was tipping them for third place and then you know what happens that kind of curse of praising a team and then they, the very next game they tend to not show up and they drew 2-2 at UCD so there's two sides here UCD obviously great result for them but doesn't really change their situation and then for Dundalk a, very much an opportunity loss Graham yeah the sending off just before half time seems to have killed them Boyle got sent off Right on the, I think it was in stoppage time in the first half. And then UCD are obviously back in it. Um, the Dane, Whelan is obviously dangerous. Um, Kerrigan as well, isn't it? He's, he's very good off the right-hand side. But I, I don't know. So I, I saw them dock a couple of times. And they, they can be actually quite stuffy at times where they, 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 try, they try and stop teams playing a lot. And that's the bit when they have to go and go and win a game. I'm not sure... They have enough maybe pace in that team, the horse teams. I know Kelly and Bradley play at times and they and they can be dangerous off both sides. But the game I seen them play, I don't I don't he played Kelly up through the middle against Shamrock Rovers and he and he didn't put on Bradley till the last 20 minutes. So um they scored two goals in this one, and you, you hope you're thinking from that point of view, 2 0 up to UCD, they should see it out. The sending off kills them, but they're getting a lot of draws, which is which is hurting them. I think, um, and I, I can't see them breaking into the top two, but it's between probably them and Pats to be in third and fourth for me. I think Pats might be after. I was worried for Pats when Derry done them, and Derry done them comprehensively with the four nil. Um, and I was talking to someone at the game. He said Derry just blitzed them, um, but they've they've reset by the looks of it. They've picked up two um, two really good results then, like going up to draw, then winning 4-0 is a great result, and then getting a draw last night. So, uh, But Dundalk, I think he's just bedding them in and making them hard to beat, and then hopefully then he can grow it from there. That's what it, that's what it looks like from, from our point of view. Yeah, so as you mentioned, last night's games, but also Shamrock Rovers were in action on Friday night, which is where Tony O'Donoghue was speaking to Stephen Bradley about the decision to turn down Lincoln. So we'll just listen to that portion of the interview where he discussed the decision to stay at Shamrock Rovers and then we'll discuss that and the results off the back of it. Um, obviously, yeah, Lincoln are, are a very, very good club with really good people behind that and they have uh, big plans and, and uh, like I said, they're a good club. Um, but when it came down to it, like I said, I, I feel that I love this club and we have unfinished business and, and uh, it feels right to stay. It must have been a, a tempting offer nonetheless because you've made no secret of the fact that you would like to, I suppose, test yourself in, in other, at other levels in other countries? Yeah, I've made no secret about that and, and that 
remains to be uh, the case. Uh, I, I will have to challenge myself at, at some point again at a different, um, a different level, a different stage, different country. I think that's only natural. But like I said, uh, right now, okay, so that's Stephen Bradley. Um, we've got a really, really strong group of players. Friday, just before uh, we've built up to this point, and I'm going to finish them. What we're doing and beat Sligo Rovers on Monday. So what was a week of instability with the uncertainty around Stephen Bradley's position, then ended up being a pretty positive one as they go top of the table now, one point clear of Derry City with Derry dropping points. We'll talk about. Derry uh, very shortly but Ollie in terms of that uh, positivity at least in the short term there is that sense of stability and they kind of know where they're going forwards for the rest of the season at least. Yeah yeah look I suppose it got a lot of airtime over the last week or so and uh, there would have been question marks maybe about what the players will think um, but I think Ronan Finn and some of the players were responsible for trying to persuade Stephen Bradley to stay and I think it's great that, that he has stayed and Look, they've had two really good results um, since then, and it's not going to affect them. Like it's like I can see why why Stephen would want to stay. Like the facilities, the training facility they have there. Like he's been there a few years now, and it feels like he's, he's building. They've built a lot, but there's more to go. Um, they have plans, you know, to develop Roadstone even more, um, more league titles, challenge in Europe. Like there's. It's a big attraction to be to be staying there, and I think it's great that he has. And you know, as I said, the, the fans, everyone there, delighted as as well as the players. And as I said the, the two results that that they've had since Friday and last night has showed, you know, where the where the players' uh, heads are. Anyway, that's for sure. Um, and they're they're going to keep going and keep driving on. And say it's it's going to be a big month and, and a big couple of months as well with Europe coming and I'm sure that was part of why, why Stephen chose to stay as well I'd, I'd say maybe he feels unfinished business with Europe um, and they really want to want to progress and, and, and make strides there and, and make inroads which I'm, I think they're, they are capable of And Graham in the longer term obviously he's staying uh, for now but as he said to Tony um, like most people you know everyone has ambitions uh, regardless of what line of work they're in so in terms of maybe going not necessarily to Lincoln but to over to England at some point that's still in the long term so Shamrock Rovers structures are good at the club but in terms of succession planning is that something maybe that this week just uh, just reminds the club you know they just need to kind of look forward to what may be next whenever Stephen Bradley makes the decision in future to, uh, to yeah. move elsewhere I think they probably got a fright in 2012 when Michael left and uh, Stephen came in and, and there wasn't a lot actually underneath the club uh, once Michael left and, and Stephen probably got, took the job and was, I think we were training at the AOL. We didn't have, like, there was no base for us to go. We were on the north side. We know gym facilities uh, on base. And then you see all the structures there. But, um, and that's why, but Stephen was helped. Stephen was part of them structures and putting them in, you, you know, when, when the academy first started, I think it was 2014, um, Stephen came in with Shane and then myself, and we, we helped build her up, and Rollstone was one of the big projects, and Stephen was part of that and driving that. So I, I think he feels a bit of ownership towards it as well, and that's one of the reasons he felt um, that he needed to stay. Um, he probably he has got ambitions, and you never know what comes up for him, and, and football's funny like that, you know, where other teams start looking and then you see he refuses it and thinks right well he obviously has his own um, ambitions of maybe going a bit higher than that but he met with Lincoln he said they were really good to him um, but he, he did say to me he says like there was a lot to do and I, I've done a lot of the stuff here and I want to see it out I want to see it to fruition I want to 
you know, drive the club on and, and put these things in place. And then the structure behind it is great. Like if you walk up to Rollstone and, and, and you see what's coming as well, well, like what Ollie said, it's fantastic. A new gym, new indoor hall, training pitches is brilliant. The, the stadium facility along is fantastic. So it's a massive attraction for anyone coming in. But I, that's where I feel Stephen has a, a sense of ownership about it and he, and he wants to see it out. And I don't think it was the time for him to hand it over to somebody else. Um, and it's great. And the boost they gave the club. Uh, and all the players as well, because they obviously didn't want to see him go. So it's fantastic. And it, it just shows you, like James was talking about the betterment of the league, it just shows you, like, you have a manager, if you taking not taking the first offer that comes to him, to say, you know what, no, I'm, I'm happy at Shamrock Rovers and this is where I want to be. And um, It's only good for the league that a manager like Stephen is staying around as well. Yeah, I think if you're sorry, you're saying succession plans and all that, as you're saying, like, have Graham there, Aidan Price, you know, Shane Robinson, Stephen Gray, people who know the league inside out who are, you know, coaching with the underage setup and you know, know, know what's what in the football world. Tony years. Cousins, Tony Cousins, Tony, Tony Cousins as well. Yeah, there's lots lots Pat of good Flynn. people underneath there. Pat Flynn, you have Glenn Crone and Steve McPhail. Like, you know, the, as you say, if you're looking for a succession plan and people there to, you know, step into the breach of if Stephen does leave or in the future, you know, it's it's in safe hands at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it's people that have the best interest of the club at heart, Ollie. That's the biggest thing. It's like they're not yeah. doing it for any other reason. Like they're, they're doing it for the club. You know, you're not coaching the 14s or, or 15s or 16s to, you know, for you're doing it because you have the club's best interest at heart and the academy's interest at heart. You know, after the lads have their kids playing in teams and stuff there as well. So they really, you know, we get yeah. you in all that. Get you in to teach the wingers a bit of cross. Huh? Huh? struggling with a few cross. Ah, yeah, back post, pal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll park that job over there for a second. <laughs> we'll move over to... Uh, obviously, look, there's a great squad of Shamrock Rovers too, as we saw over those couple of games with uh, Danny Mandroy getting a brace on the Friday and then Graham Burke scoring a hat-trick having come on as a sub. So, like, if you're going to use the term impact sub, you're using capital letters uh, for that in regards to Graham Burke. But um, more so in terms of Danny Mandroy, because this time last year he was just about to get his first call up for the Ireland senior squad and he didn't exactly he didn't feature against Andorra or Hungary but where is he at in terms of his I suppose his international placing and where maybe Stephen Kenny might see him obviously he's not part of the picture right now and probably just slightly outside of it but um Ollie like where do you kind of see his international ambitions at this point because he's still still relatively young and he is in good form yeah he's young good form um and I think Ireland, we need we need players like that. They're the types of players we need in, in the international setup. Um, the thing that that struck me about about Danny, just seeing him this year, is the relationship he has with Jack Byrne. Like it's something like that goal against Dundalk, that ball from Jack. But if Danny doesn't make the run, like the ball is not. And the ball the other night on Friday night from Jack to like Danny's making that run from how many yards away, but knows when Jack is on it. If I make a run here, he can find me. And he seems to just gone to the next level really we all know he had ability and talent but you know like whatever since he's gone to Rovers seems to have, have taken it on um, but yeah I think I think in the international team we need players like that we need your Danny Mandroyas we need your Jack Burns you know that can have that little bit of an X factor that they, that can open up those teams 
Um, and I know, look, obviously Stephen Kenny would be would be well aware of him and, and has watched him regularly. So it'd be interesting to see how it, how it pans out. But you know, if he keeps on going on the current trajectory, there's no reason why he can't be getting in around squads. And I'm not saying he's going to be starting or playing, but you know, making some kind of impact. Yeah, and Graham, like I think it was a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, or maybe three or four weeks ago now, we were talking about Jack Burns' credentials in terms of maybe getting back into the squad. And I think you said like he definitely does fit into those plans in terms of the last few minutes of a game where yeah. he can he can pick a pass. Um, in regards to some of the other players, either at Shamrock Rovers or around the league, um, obviously they're kind of middle of the season now. So match sharpness is something maybe Stephen Kenny might look at. Uh, in terms of the June games, is there anybody, Danny Mandroy or otherwise, that you think maybe has a chance of sneaking in? Yeah, I know Darren Bournes has played with the 21s and he looks like he's, he's continued that form. He's been really, he's been excellent. Um, I was surprised McGinty wasn't called in when they needed a keeper the last time. I'd agree with Ollie on that one. I, I, I actually thought Sligo missed him a little bit last night. Um, I think the first goal, maybe, I think Brush is just probably a little bit too eager to come out and close down the space. And if you know Bork is on his right foot, if you if you stay in your goal and trust your defender, he's probably going to shoot in the front area. But Brush, mate, Brush rushes him and it makes uh, Graham Bork's finish a little bit easier. So they'd be the two I'd be looking at. Danny, Danny's ability... I, 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 when I seen Danny play as a kid and then I seen him even when he came back, he likes to come towards the ball and play and get involved in the play. And I think where, where this season and a little bit last season, he's actually willing to run in behind a lot more and his pace, his pace is ridiculous. I didn't realise he was as quick as that until I probably seen him open up in one of the games where he just went through it. I think it was the Pats game last year where he, he, he nicked the ball off Desmond and took it from the halfway line and held Desmond off and scored. And I thought, I said it to Stephen afterwards, I didn't think he was as quick as that. And he says, yeah, he can motor, Graham. And I think now when you see the likes of Jack dropping in and his head comes up, he knows I'm going to hit the grass and Danny will get there. So, um, But I do think Bournes has been really good for Pats as well. Um, so it'll be interested to see. I've only really seen Derry once. I'll, I'll be interested to see them on, on Friday live and, and see what I... Because um, I do like the centre-backs at all. I did like... I thought he'd done really well last year. So he'd be somebody that you could look at as well. But obviously Ireland are really strong in the centre-half position at the moment, so it'd be tough for him to break in. But um, Just yeah. on, sorry, Graham, just on Rovers, I, I think you have to give a mention to Gaffney. Yeah, so it was I, brilliant I, last I, night. I, I think Man, Mandroyo and Jack Byrne are <laughs> grabbing the headlines, but like you're a centre-half, I doubt you'd fancy coming up against him. He walks hard, he's in your face, he'll run behind, he holds it up. He's got... Bit of quality as well, in fairness. Oh, it was unbelievable last night, Ollie, when he burned. came on, he changed the game. Like, because they dropped, they, they actually took two strikers off and put Gaffney on as the lone striker and dropped Bork back in. And that's what hurt uh, Sligo because they were man marking Jack Bourne and it freed up Bork then to just wander. But Gaffney occupied the two centre backs unbelievably well. He's, he, he's pace for the second goal. I remember he done it to me in, in uh, Tallis Stadium. The ball got knocked in the <laughs> corner and I thought of a good. Good four or five yards here. I'm all right, and then he just came, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And I just said, "I think it's time." Oh, to all last clauses, he, he chases yeah. everyone. <laughs> the, the, the bit of quality as well. I think it was the Harps with the first score was knocked into him, and he's played that ball in behind the full back. Oh, from yeah. Like he's got corner, quality yeah. as well, and I think very underrated. I know he got in PFA Ireland team of the season last year, and it just shows what other players in the league think of him. Because I'm sure a lot of people are going, oh, "How did he get in that team?" But 
players playing against him, players yeah, that yeah. I'm sure the Rovers lads would massively appreciate what he does, but I think he's been superb. Really good at when they yeah, nail it as well, when they knock it, when they do press high and there's a clip, clip in from, from the goal from Alan Manis, he's really good at just securing and holding it up. But be interesting to see how he does against the 30 centre backs because I do like them too. I think they they've been really good this season as well. But James will go on about them now in a sec. Yeah, I certainly will because uh, you've just given me the perfect seg- segue as you almost do every. All oh, right, so. Rashford. Like, you probably yeah, mute, so you can segue probably does, you can probably mute second. your one. We'll take it from here. <laughs> yeah, no bother. Uh, Shamrock Rovers, Derry City, live on RT2 and the RT Player this Friday. So that's a huge game coming up. But we'll touch on Derry City now because. They're very much involved in this title race, despite dropping um, the points over the uh, over these two games against Bowles and Pats. But we listened to Rory Higgins first, who's speaking to Eric White last night. Performance levels was outstanding. Um, like compared to their performance on Friday night, it was night and day. Brilliant, more like us. Just uh, I'm, I'm lost for words. I don't know how we have them on the game. What can you say to the players in there after a game like that when you've dominated from start to finish and been so comfortable for most of the match? Just be more ruthless at the top end and, and take responsibility um, because our player right up to that but was really, really good and, and we passed the ball at speed and we passed it forward at speed and our movement off the ball was brilliant um, and I, I'm baffled at how we haven't come away with three points. Okay, so that is Derry City manager Rory Higgins speaking after the 0-0 draw against St. Pat's last night. So that is a draw against Bowles, a draw against Pats, and this was a Pats team they'd beaten 4-0 very, very recently. James, um, they had like they dominated 60% possession, not that or 61% possession. I mean, you can't really read too much into possession stats sometimes because it doesn't really give you a, a full reflection of the game but uh what sort of went wrong for them this time that maybe it had worked out in the previous game against pats um i would suggest that um pats and tim clancy went up and didn't just park one bus but parked a number of buses um i'm shocked that it was only 61 percent because in the second half i think pats only had the ball for maybe two minutes and that was it. They were really, really poor. In fairness, they did the job. As I said, they got, they got a hammering down in Richmond only a week beforehand. So they had to change that up. So that as, as Graham's mentioned, Dara Burns came on with 15 minutes to go. So that tells you what, kind of, what they thought about the game. This is a case of we're going up here not getting beaten. Not a case of we're going up here and we're going to get a win out of this game. And that's the way it happened. As Rory's mentioning there, yeah, the play up to the box was absolutely wonderful. But then just overplaying the ball, instead of taking shots, they were overplaying as if they wanted to get it into the six-yard box and tap it in from there. There was several chances during the second half in particular where a shot was on. And the first person that could take a shot from outside the box, I think, well, you'd, Brandon Captain in the first half where he's kind of off balance. Then the second half is Patrick McElhenney hits the post. So <clears throat> it was one of those games, but it... As Rory mentioned, it was better than Friday. On Friday, Derry City were incredibly lucky not to lose. Because, and, and Graham, I don't know if you've seen this, but if you were a defender and a referee oh. gave a penalty against you for the penalty that Derry got, you, you'd be sent off for what you'd say to the referee because it was absolutely shocking. From, from viewing it, it was a shocking penalty and Derry got away with one there. But last night, they controlled the game and it's just that, that fraction that they didn't have. I don't know whether, as he said... I don't know whether there was a willingness to take a shot on or there was a fear to take a shot on or something, but it was a perfect game last night to do that, especially ahead of Rovers on Friday night. 
Would you um, be worried about the home farm, James? Because that seems no. to be where the, the best away record in the division, but the, yeah. the home farm is, is, is hurting them at the moment. Yeah, the, the, there's a bit of home form there. Like in fairness, it's it's mostly clean sheets. There's only one loss, and that, that unfortunately came to Shelburne. But it, it I don't know what it is. It's just it's just it seems a fear of taking on the shot when the shot arrives. Like if you look at Shamrock Rovers, or you look at like yeah, we'll, we'll take Shamrock Rovers for instance. Like you got Burkle hit it from 25 yards. You got Mandroyu hit it from 25 yards. So if a gap opens up, they'll take a shot at it, and nobody will go. Oh, why did you do that? They go well, fair play, like do you know what I mean? It opened up and off you go. That makes when when you have people willing to take shots from distance yeah. at times, it makes the defenders have to come out and commit to the shot, and then it might leave a gap. And then it leaves a gap in behind for a little yeah. slide ball in behind. For instance, with um, who took a shot last night? I think it was Patrick McEnany who took a shot last night. Goalkeeper saves it, and when he parries it, no joke, it comes six or seven yards away from his hands, and no Derry player is there putting pressure on. He just walks out to the ball and picks it up. And it's in the middle of the box, like, do you know what I mean? So it seems to be, I don't know if it's a fear of overcommitting or what have you, but last night was a game where, even if they had a overcommit, like, the only chance that Pat's had was a, a Chris Forrester shot towards the end of the game. I do think it shows how far there you've come that. Oh, yeah. The team, like the team that finished way. second, the team that finished mm-hmm. second last season goes to Dirty and, and gives them the ultimate respect to say, listen, we're, we're here to just get a draw and get yeah. out of here. Like considering Pat's finished second and our FAI Cup holders, the fact that they go up there and, and like you said, park the bus against there, it shows you how far you have come as a club and a team. I like it's massive, and I was actually only thinking about this last night because people are saying, "Oh, but Derry like they've spent big, they've done this, they've done that." But if you go through the team, like Mar came in this season, none of the back four did. No. The back four were all there. Midfield, Patrick McHenry came in middle of last season. Thompson was there. Patchen was with us on loan initially because Dundalk, for some bizarre reason, or didn't want them. And Dummingham comes in there and then up front McGonagall. So there's not... Kavanagh, Brandon Kavanagh, yeah, Brandon Ray as well. Yeah, But again, not big money signings or anything like that. No. All guys who are at the end of their contracts. So it's yeah. not as if they've spent big to do that. What they've done is they've just recruited really, really well. But the issue then happens, it's not like Shamacrobus. There isn't a Graham Burke. There isn't a Rory Gaffney to come off the bench. Do you know what I mean? It's all young kids who are on the bench at the minute. And I think that's where they'll fall down towards the end of the season, especially with Europe coming up, is that the actual squad depth might not be big enough for them. Yeah, and in terms of the short term then, finally, um, Ollie, it, obviously dropping points means they slip just, well, it's barely a slip, like just one point behind Shamrock Rovers anyway. But how that colours the game now in comparison to, say, if they had found a winner, um, obviously Rovers would probably have had to chase the game a little bit more, but the situation changes a little bit, does it? Yeah, I suppose it does. Uh, I suppose the lift Derry would have got from that late winner against Rovers in the Brandywell earlier in the season, you know, and, and the momentum you can gain from that. Again, it, it could have happened last night, but um, still they're only a point behind. And when you look at it, like lost Kieran Hark and Michael Duffy, you know, McElhenney came on and went off again last night. James, I'm not sure what the update from him is. He looked sharp last night when he was on, saying had a shot. So, like they're they're three massive players. If you're going to tallow without them, you know that's a big hole in any squad. Um, but look, I, I'm there's they'll take the positive. Well, try to take the positives out, out of last night to say how well they played up to a certain point. Um, and I'm sure to be working on that that final third, that, that last little ball, um, and working on that. But again, look at this stage of the season, they're a point behind Rovers. 
it looks like a two horse race to be honest at, at, at this moment so like they're they're right in the in the middle of it and i'm sure when you when they sit down and analyze it even though they say they've they've outlaid a few quid and brought some players in they'll be happy enough with their position um at the moment then you know great game to look forward to on friday night i'm sure they'll be they'll be buzzing i'm sure there'll be a big big traveling crowd come down as well so it should it should be a great occasion it's one that that everyone is looking forward to yeah i think they'll they recruit as well in the summer james like i think that's the bit you I think they'll recruit in the summer. I think they'll. I think oh, they'll definitely bring in reinforcements. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think the, I think the the club and the people behind the club will look around and think, if we recruit here with the European games and and the end of the season, they'll have an eye on some silverware, whether it's challenging yeah. for the league, which I think they should, and then I think they'll have an eye on trying to win one of the cups as well. And with the and I think the club then will go. We've a chance here, and that's when they recruit. They'll go and. And, and, and bulk out the squad a little bit so that they are able to make sure that they're competing on, on a couple of different fronts. Uh, listen, nobody expected Derry to be a league champion this year. It's no, just, I know, I know that. I know. It's, a bit like, it's a bit like when Stephen went in at Rovers. Yeah. There's a building process that has Correct, to go. exactly. Yeah, and they have to learn and they have to give. Are that, like, listen, I, and that's 100%. Like, a, a proper league challenge to me would have been next year, year after. Anything this year has been an absolute bonus. So but the closer you go this season, the closer you push this season, it's, it's better easier. for yeah. next season yeah. because then the, the, you get that experience of it. There's a lot of players in that 30 squad, especially like you said, the back four, the goalkeeper. I think only um, McElhenney has experience of winning the league. So the, yeah. the, and Duffy so the, the other lads gained that that challenge that battle hardness of knowing how to see out games and yeah. how to make sure you get over the line in certain games you aren't playing well so like I said to you but I think they will recruit in the summer we we did that at Rovers remember first season at Tala we ended yeah. up finishing runners up probably felt like we should have won it but like it would have been ahead of schedule if we did go yeah. on and win it. But then that the was, next season yeah. they kicked on and went and won back to back league titles then. So yeah, it is it is a building process. And back to the recruitment point, I think you'd have confidence in yeah. the recruitment as well. Because say they brought Brian Mar in, they brought Dummigan in, they brought, you know, Brandon Cavani in, who's gone into the team and they've settled in well. So if you're looking at it, they're going, the lads yes. they brought in have kind of hit the ground running and done the job. So if they're looking to bring a couple of more in, like you'd back and you'd have a bit of confidence in, in their recruitment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that game between Shamrock Rovers and Derry City is live this Friday on RT2 and the RT players are definitely well worth tuning in for given the battle at the top. But in the first division, we're going to just chat about very briefly, uh, Bray Wanderers lost uh, 4-1 at home to Waterford, who are rallying now. At Lone Town, lost 2-1 at home to Cork City, who are still flying high. Cove Ramblers lost 4-0 at home to Galway United, who are keeping cha- or chasing uh, Cork at the moment. And then Longford Town got a... 2-1 home win over Wexford. But I wanted to discuss Bray Wanderers, James, and uh, there was a situation in their previous game against Wexford um, the previous Monday that resulted in a statement being released. So I'm just going to read out the, the first couple of paragraphs of that. Um, Bray FC wishes to convey its disappointment at the behaviour of a small group of fans at our game in Wexford on Monday. The club wishes to communicate that it has identified the principal perpetrators and in conjunction with the Gardaí will implement steps to eliminate this behaviour. We are committed to delivering a safe and welcoming environment in which every Bray Wanderers supporter can enjoy the game and support the team. And then just additionally on top of that, they uh, offered full support to Pat Devlin. So what have you made of the situation there? Because obviously the context of the wider situation at Bray was this merger with Cabin Teeley at the start of the season. But obviously things on the pitch haven't really worked out that well. 
Yeah, they're third from bottom of the first division. Um, the issue in Wexford, the issue in Wexford is a hard one to talk about because we could, it's a video that was released. It was only a small video and I'm 100% sure it doesn't encapsulate everything that happened. There's no way that that's like, I don't know, we don't know what happened before that video. We don't know what happened after that video. The fact that they released stuff to the Gardaí would suggest it's more than what was in the video. But to tell fans that you can't come to our ground if you're not going to get behind the team is a bit, I don't know. It happens around the world. If the managers doing bad jobs. Fans let them know. If players are doing bad jobs, fans let them know. That's all part of the game. But you can't overreact to what fans are saying to you at the same time. And I think that, yeah, the, 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 the collaboration between Bray and Cabantini probably didn't go down well with some fans. But again, as I'm talking about history with shells and that, if it's going to push your club forward, then maybe, maybe it was the way it was handled initially that people weren't happy. Maybe there wasn't enough consultation about it and people feel it just happened overnight. But the, 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 the statement was very, very bizarre statement. Like they never mentioned the fact that like even they could have had a line in there from Devo just to say, listen, I was wrong. I shouldn't have approached the fans. Maybe, maybe something along those lines and try and, and get something together that way to kind of mediate between the fans and the manager and the fans and the, the, the backroom staff, etc. But the statement come out was very, very bizarre. And it, it, it's only going to, people wanted people out of the club, that statement was going to harden them even further, I think. I don't know. Like, I'm sure the two lads playing through the years had a couple of uh, bits of abuse gone from stands. I know I definitely abused Gartho, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just one of those things, like. Yeah, we'll see how that situation uh, pans out now over the next few weeks. But um, James, before we go, I know you've been keeping an eye on the Danske Bank Irish League because, of course, Chris Shields, obviously formerly of Bray, coincidentally, and then uh, Dundalk as well, uh, was uh, the winner of the Footballer of the Year for his performances with Linfield. So, um, you know, uh, class always tends to shine, as it seems. Yeah, he, he had a good season for them, in fairness. I think the worst thing he did all season was he tried a, a, a slide on his stomach as he went out to collect the trophy. And that didn't seem to go all that well, do you know what I mean? But, but he's an old man now, he can't be doing stuff like that. But he had a great season for them. And uh, the league finished off on, on Saturday with the, the cup final and the cup final, Sunday with the cup final, Saturday with the cup final. The cup final was crazy, absolutely crazy. Balamina versus Crusaders. Balamina get an early goal in the game, control the game, really no effort from Crusaders. Even the pundits at halftime were asking where Crusaders had gone to. And then, of course, as happens, as, as happened in the Champions League just last week, you've got commentators saying how great Balamina is, it's great for them, and they're going to go and lift this trophy now. And then goalkeeper comes up, Tuffy comes up, heads the ball in the back post, they equalise in the injury time at the end of it, full time, goes to extra time. And I don't know if the lads might remember this, but I remember Glass for Carlisle. Yeah, the goalkeeper, yeah. Jimmy Glass, yeah. I don't think I've seen a goalkeeper get his head on a cross since then. And I always think it's very bizarre that they send goalkeepers up. But he gets his head on it. They go into extra time. And at the end of extra time, last kick of the game, McMurray scores an absolute cracking volley. And Crusaders, as you see, per David Jeffries, is just devastating. Allison done it last year for Liverpool, remember? Yeah, oh, sorry, yeah, Allison. He did it. He got a head on. But it's just one of those things you're kind of looking going. This is crazy, and it always—it's a bit like long throw-ins. It always baffles me that for situations like this, you don't practice. Like you know what I mean? Like even in even in training, go on up for a corner and we'll see what we can do. Like do you know what I mean? Like long throw-ins never seem to be practiced. If you've got someone who is a long throw-in, 
it never seems to be treated as a set piece and lads just kind of go in on top of the goalkeeper and stuff but it was great to see it it's great it's one of those cup finals I love cup finals and uh, when it goes back and forth like that it's great but poor David Jeffrey he thought he was he was 30 seconds away from picking up a trophy and just taking away from him like that it was a really humdinger of a game yeah, the magic of the different cups around the world, of course. So uh, congratulations to Crusaders there. But uh, this weekend, of course, uh, in domestically here anyway, Dundalk playing Bohemians on Friday and then Shamrock Rovers against Derry City, as we said, RT2 and the RT player, 7.45 kickoff. Shelburne up against Drada and then Finn Harps against UCD. And then on, on Saturday, it's Sligo Rovers against St. Pat's. And then in the first division, Wexford take on Galway at 7.45 on Friday. Friday, and then Waterford against Cove Ramblers and then Treaty United against Bray Wanderers and at Lone Town against uh, Longford Town. Probably also have to note that's Friday the 13th, so I'm not sure which teams are going to be lucky here and which teams are not, if you believe in that sort of thing. And also there is there is a game on Monday with Treaty United up against uh, Longford Town. And then in the Women's National League on Saturday, DLR Waves up against Sligo Rovers, P-Mount against Athlone, Galway against Treaty United, Bowes against Shelburne and then Cork City against Wexford Utes. So so that is pretty much it. Hopefully we'll be chatting to Jim Crawford, the Ireland under 21 head coach very, very soon um, up at Abbottstown, possibly today. And uh, yeah, I'll be looking ahead to the triple header fixtures that are coming in June against Bosnia, Montenegro and Italy. But for today anyway, James, thanks a mil for, for coming on. And also Graham and Ollie, best of luck with the rest of the week and uh, cheers for coming on. Thanks, lads.